Welcome to Your Story Matters, the show where we share inspiring stories from all around the world. After you've listened to this one, why don't you tell us yours? Share your story at yourstorymatters.net. But first, here's your host, speaker and writer, Angela Schaefers. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Jill Thompson. She is the author of Finding Jill, How I Rebuilt My Life After Losing the Five People I Loved Most. Very inspiring and encouraging story that Jill will be sharing today. Hi, Jill. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Angela. Thanks for having me. Great to talk with you. I loved what I've read about your book and you and your story. And I'm so excited that you're willing to share with our listeners because I know what you have to share will encourage and inspire other people because sometimes dealing with grief, especially such deep, tragic grief as you've gone through, is very hard to envision an outcome of something positive and hopeful. But before we talk about the grief incident and where you've gone from there, share with the listeners, if you will, a little bit about your past and your background, maybe how you grew up. That's exactly how I I look at it. I, I look at my story as being a story of love, not one uh, of the metal and, and the accident itself. My mom was an, an amazing, supportive mother who taught me how to love and gave me my faith in God. She loved the golf. She was extremely funny and very outgoing. My husband, Bart, I fell in love with him. He was the man of my dreams. The, I remembered the first moment I met him, and I opened the door, and I knew from that moment on that he was going to be a very significant part of my life. Wow. Our oldest son, Benjamin, he was six years old, and his motto was, you can make art out of anything One day he had me come to the top of the stairs and he said, look, mommy. And I looked down on the floor below us and he had taken all the cushions from the the couches and the pillows and he made a gigantic heart in the middle of the room. And he said, see, you can make art out of anything. And then I had uh, my little bright burst of energy, Samuel. And today actually would have been his 16th birthday. He was four years old, and his motto was, Mama, can I have some candy? Because he would wake up every morning and say say this to me, thinking at some point in time I would break, but I never did. <laughs> Although I took Franklin a little piece this morning in celebration of his birthday. That's sweet. Let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned your mom and, and her influence on you. What was your childhood like? What were some of the things that you learned and perhaps endured during childhood that created a sense of character development and something within you that helped you to deal with what happened later on in life? You know, I guess um, a big part of it for me was, as we all have suffering in our life, my mom had some significant challenges in her life. Her brother at I believe the age of 17 died in her care. He was living with my mom and dad. And and then she never really dealt with that along with her father was physically abusive to all the kids and, and to her mother. And I think by not dealing with her 
grief, I saw how that affected her life. And so her suffering gave me a bit of insight on how I did not want my accident and my grief to overtake my life in those ways. Mm, that's powerful. She, was, she just at times couldn't deal with certain changes in her life or she would break down crying easily and she never really understood why her emotions would get the best of her. And there was no way of explaining to her that you have to deal with your grief and your past. You can't just push it aside and say, I'm going to be stronger and I'm, I'm, that's part of my past. I don't have to worry about that. Mm, so you, you actually took how she suffered and what she dealt with and carried and learned from that, not knowing, of course, that you would have to face grief in your own way down the road. That's really, really powerful. Thanks. I, I definitely was raised in a very loving and accepting environment, but with that, I, I did see her pain and her suffering and how it affected her life. And I did not want, when I chose to live through this, I did not want it to overtake my life anymore. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And that's really powerful and helpful for those listeners who are enduring grief right now. Whether And I like what you mentioned in your book, whether it was last month, this month, five years ago, ten years ago there's always an opportunity for you to face your grief and deal with it. And that's so important for people to know. It's never too late. I think one of the things that I have learned in, in my grief process is that it, it probably, even the small things that I have dealt with that are considered smaller compared to the major accident, um, at times they still come back to me. And if I choose to push them aside and say, I've already dealt with that. It shouldn't be affecting me anymore. It still can overtake my life. So it doesn't matter how long ago it was and, and how big or how small something is. If you can choose to face it head on, you can become healthy and happy. Absolutely true. I totally agree with that. So what was your life like? You were married to the man of your dreams and you had two children. Tell us a little bit about your life prior to the incident. Bart and I uh, had a wonderful, loving relationship. There were times when we would sit around and play Scrabble after we'd put the boys to bed and he would grab my hand and we would dance in the middle of the, the living room. I looked forward to every time he got home. I would try to, you know, uh, when he would get home from work, I would always make sure that my hair was brushed or I would just get so excited. And, and mm -hmm. this was nine years after, after being married to the man. It wasn't that we didn't have our ups and downs and our challenges. It's just that when you love someone so deeply, you're willing to step yourself through those challenges. Mm -hmm. We we did a lot of traveling through his work, and then also just we were lucky enough to be able to travel the west coast of seeing that we lived in Idaho. His parents lived in Washington, and, and we went to New York. We went to California. Showing the world to our kids was important to us, and mm -hmm. showing the different cultures to our kids when we were over in Italy, 
we tried to immerse ourselves in their culture and experience everything we could experience from, and learn from from the Italians that we were surrounded by. Mm-hmm. Our boys came first, of course, and we played a lot of games night. We we did a lot of trips on the weekends and tr- just tried to enjoy and experience life. Mm-hmm. That sounds awesome. It sounds like a great family unit and that you were enjoying a good life. What was it then that occurred, if you can explain to the listeners who haven't read your book yet, on the day of the event? I know you were in Italy on vacation, and I believe you were with other family members besides your husband and your children. My husband and I and the two boys were living over in Italy. Bart had been transferred there from Micron for a couple years, and we had been there for 10 months. We brought my mom, my sister, and my niece over for their spring break, and they took an extra week, so we had a full two weeks with them. The accident occurred in the middle of this two weeks, so the first week was Ben, my oldest son, was going to first grade there, and he took my niece, Sarah, who was eight years old, to his class, and and he got to introduce her to all of his classmates, his teacher, uh, was for Carla, which is a, he was going to a convent school, and he had the sisters around him. The Suore is, is the, the way they're called over in Italy. So he took Sarah there. I took my mom and my sister around to the different markets in the Avizzano, Abruzzo region. We just went on, on some quick day trips. At the time of the accident, Bart had taken the week off and we were going to, we drove up to Venice and then we were heading to Florence. We had spent two nights and three days in Venice. Had a wonderful, beautiful time there. At the end of our stay there, we got in the car. We were heading towards Florence, which was a couple hours away at the time of the accident a semi-truck had lost control. A U.S. Army truck had clipped the back of him, and he was driving too fast, which caused him to lose control. The median in between our vehicle and the other side was too high for Bart to be able to see that this semi-truck was out of control. Mm. Uh, there was an emergency turnaround, and the semi-truck whipped into there, which was about... Bart had about a second or two to react, and he turned the car upon himself, which is what saved my sister and I. But my mom, my niece Sarah, who was also my goddaughter, my son Benjamin, my son Samuel, and my husband Bart all passed and died instantly. Mm. I'm so sorry. That is indeed a tragedy, and I'm sure shocking for you to have endured. What was it like initially when you woke up, I'm assuming, at the hospital or realized the impact of what had happened? You know, I'm not sure that I understood what actually happened. I woke up, what I first remember is uh, waking up to my sister screaming that they were all dead, but I didn't feel that they were. I called the nurse in. She came in. I asked her, Dove Mia? family and and that's where is my family and 
and she said Unatra Hospitale and in a different hospital and I I really had no clue that she was nervous and not being able to tell me the truth they they were scared where I was physically they they didn't I had many injuries and so they didn't want to upset me any more than than they needed to and they needed to mm-hmm. wait for friends and family to get around me before they could tell us that our family had passed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once I heard, my friends had driven up from Avizano, which is about six or seven hours away from where we were at, and they were standing next to me. My older sister was on, on the phone, and I remember hearing her voice, and I remember my friend next to me. Were you able to be there with your other sister to hear the news, or was she in another area? You know, I'm not positive. I, at the time that she had been saying that our our family had died, I know it was upsetting to both of us, and so they removed her out of my room. Mm-hmm. And I am not positive if she was still in the if she was in the room when they told me, or if she wasn't. I do remember my friend Sherry that had driven up from Mavazano, and I remember looking at her and thinking maybe someone just had taken my boys, and I asked her if by chance she felt that someone had taken them because they were blonde, blue-eyed boys, and mm-hmm. maybe someone had just uh, stolen them. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me, and, and because that was a fear of mine, just being in a crowded city in Rome when we were visiting them. And she looked at me and explained that, no, there was no possibility that they survived the accident. And that's when it hit me mm-hmm. that everybody was gone, mm-hmm. although I didn't really feel it. I just understood it. Right. I understand. So what do you do with that? What were some of the things, if you would like to share, that you did initially to deal with this situation? I'm sure there were so many logistics to it, being in another country, being away from family and friends that, you know, would surround you in this situation. Can you share with some of the things that got you through those first few days, few weeks? I think that the shock gets you through for the most part. Mm -hmm. I uh, was in the hospital. The accident happened March 25th. And just a couple of years ago, I've found out that the funeral in in Idaho was April 13th. I was only home in Boise a couple days before the funeral, and I was only allowed to spend one night in Avizano. So I must have uh, been in the hospital for a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. The place of work that my husband worked at, Micron Technology, sent over my sister, her husband, my brother, and my brother-in-law, Jody's my sister that was also in the accident, her husband, they also brought two of our friends over. And so just having the support of our friends and family around us mm-hmm. uh, gave us a, a bit of support during that time. There isn't a lot that I remember about those first few weeks. I, I was in and out quite a bit, I'm sure. And I feel that... The first year, probably, for me was 
living in shock and just trying to get through each second, not not a full day. Mm-hmm. I certainly wasn't capable of looking at the overall picture. Mm-hmm. I would get up and figure out how to, you know, I was in a wheelchair, and so I had to figure out how to be in a wheelchair. I had to relearn how to use my hand. I had to relearn how to walk. So I think that first year was it was really about figuring out how to physically get my strength back again. Mm-hmm. And I will say that definitely being in shock sometimes protects us from being overwhelmed with emotions and sometimes even physical feelings that are hard on us because of injuries and that type of thing. So I can definitely understand that. And, and I am glad to hear that you had family and friends near you. At what point do you think you began to finally realize the full impact of what had happened? And what did you start to do about that? It probably was, it wasn't all at once that it hit me. I, I think people, and I especially also felt this way, that I should be able to just feel the loss of all five people, that I should be able to, to feel that loss. But in the beginning, the only person I could remember or even focus on was Bart. And mm-hmm. I believe after the first year, after working through the physical aspects of, of my recovery, I did attempt suicide. And mm-hmm. I believe looking back on that, that was probably the night that it actually hit me, Bart was gone, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it was pretty close to a year after the accident that this happened, and it was something I certainly felt that I was immune to. With my faith in God, I felt that there was no way I would ever try something like that. Mm -hmm. It was a split second, and then it was all about trying to make sure no one else had to worry about me, and Mm -hmm. I felt that at the time that there was a mistake and I was supposed to be with my family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The second uh, moment that I had the feeling of a loss was a few months later. I remember being in the, the bathroom and falling to the floor in agony because all of a sudden the, the feeling I felt the loss of Samuel Mm -hmm. and I, at that time, had enough tools and resources to know that I needed to rely on a friend and call a friend. So I called someone to come be with me, and she just sat and and held me for the next few hours until I was capable of breathing again, I guess Mm -hmm. would be the best. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And, And each time since then, those were probably the most difficult realizations for me. And then after that, I I knew, okay, at some point in time, I'm going to have the the feeling of, it's different having the feeling of the loss and the understanding of the loss. Right. I understood they all were gone, but I didn't feel their loss. Mm -hmm. And so when the feeling of Benjamin, of his loss, I was more prepared for that, and and I knew what I needed to do to step myself through that. Mm -hmm. 
and again with my mom and with Sarah. But oh. each one came at different times. That makes sense. And that really is important for people to realize. There's no set way of when the feelings come or go or how deep they are about one person or another or one incident or another. So it is important for people to know that this is really an individual thing for each of us, how we deal with our grief and, and when it hits us, so to speak, and what happens next. Can you share with the listeners some of the tools and resources you mentioned having that got you through the suicide attempt, the feelings coming about each death and each loss. What are those things that others can hopefully realize are supports for them, options? As far as the suicide attempt goes, I until that night, I had no desire to live. I was functioning, but not really. I, it, I want to say that I was watching myself live. I didn't even recognize myself in the mirror. I, I, I had no concept of who that person was that was going through what she was going through. Mm -hmm. And when I woke up after my suicide attempt, that was the first time that I had wanted to live and that I felt like I didn't have the ability to do this on my own. Mm -hmm. I had previously to that to that night, I had uh, gotten a counselor just to give comfort to my friends and family around me. I didn't really talk to her about anything. I, I just probably sat and bawled most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, I really had no... I felt that she had no ability to help me because there was no way this ever was going to be okay. And mm -hmm. truthfully, it's not okay, and it never never will be okay. It's just that I've learned how to accept it and how to honor them. I woke up and wanted to live, so I started opening up to my counselor. I had a couple weeks at home before I went to live at the convent over in Italy. Benjamin and Samuel and I would uh, volunteer at the orphanage at the convent that was also connected to Ben's school. And so I felt very comfortable and at peace while I was there. Mm -hmm. uh, I mm -hmm. needed to surround myself by that comfort. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the Christian bookstore. I said a prayer and asked for God's guidance. I found a workbook that, that I felt would be, that looked uh, like something that I could gain knowledge from, mm -hmm. and I took that over there and lived with the sisters for two weeks. Mm. I'm and sure that was powerful and healing for you. It was. It was a way to, before going there, I have a visual. Before going there, if you, this is how my mind was, if you open a door to your office and, and there's just a whirlwind of paper flying everywhere. And that was me before going to the convent. And then afterwards, you open that same door and all those papers are neatly binded mm -hmm. and labeled and put on the shelf. I had such 
an overwhelming amount of grief that I had to deal with, I had no ability, I, I had no way of, of pinpointing where to start. And after going to the convent, I felt like, okay, this is, this is how I need to step myself through it. I need to categorize Bart. I need to put Benjamin in a spot. I need to put Samuel in a spot. And, and then deal with each one of those at the time that I'm feeling their loss. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. So I love what you're sharing, getting support, learning that you have to talk about things, finding whatever resource that will help bring you peace and sort out all that you're going through is very powerful. How long after that was it when you really started to restart and relive your life? You know, each, each moment for me, in the beginning, I... I had to think of only the next hour. I couldn't think of an entire day. And and so making a plan for the next hour was overwhelming to me. And so I started taking small steps towards that. Pretty soon I was able to come up with an entire day of not anything concrete that I had to do, but, but a rough draft of a plan for that day. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I started gradually working into a full week. The biggest thing that is when someone is going through grief that I would like to make sure people understand is to give yourself a lot of breaks. Mm-hmm. And if you get to a situation that doesn't feel comfortable, no matter what or, or how comfortable you think it should be, just leave. There is no reason for you to be in that situation. For example, after coming home from the convent, my best friend Kelly and I went to the video store to get some movies to watch one night. And I got to see the movies at C. So I went through A's, I went through B's, I got to C. And all of a sudden I start shaking and I start bawling. And Kelly kept saying, let's just go, let's just go, it's okay, we can go. And I just said, Kelly, I can get through movies, I can look through the titles of movies, I can get through Z, this is ridiculous. And finally, she talked me into leaving. Mm -hmm. And as we were leaving, I heard a voice in the store that sounded similar to Benjamin's voice, and there was singing the I Love You song, which is uh, something Ben used to sing a lot. And so I didn't have the ability to understand what I was hearing at the time of my uh, meltdown. But once I calmed down and once I left the situation, I realized what was going on, and Mm -hmm. it made sense to me. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. think that my counselor giving me permission to leave a situation or accept a way that I was acting, accept myself as who I had become, that's when, when I had permission to be this new person was, was when I started to get stronger. Right. I, that, that makes a lot of sense, and that's a really good tip to share with others to learn to be yourself, even if it's a new self, 
and go with that and and that is part of the healing process so you went on with your life obviously since this tragedy you're remarried now I understand yeah eventually my counselor started stepping me through these little taking a day, taking a week, and being able to figure out how to love again. That was a big one for me. How do you allow someone back into your heart? And one way that we started this long process was I got a, a little dog, and it was the same breed as my childhood dog. And so I I got this little dog, and I named him Ritter, and I think about a month into having him, I get to my counseling session and I just start bawling. And I'm like, I love him. And it's so scary. Mm-hmm. I I wasn't able to let friends or family into my heart after this loss. And so re-teaching myself how to accept love and give love again was a big challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Once I started doing that, then I I started dating again. And the night before I met John, I actually prayed about meeting someone that would accept my love for Bart and the boys. I asked God that he would bring someone in my life that would be confident enough and strong enough to to understand it. Mm -hmm. And the next night, I was out with a girlfriend, and John walked through the door, and I remember thinking how extremely handsome he was. He and I started talking, and I thought if he ended up calling me after he took my number, that we would probably become friends. It would be a nice friendship to have. I never truly expected my prayer to be answered, <laughs> mm-hmm. but also my prayer to be answered that soon. And it took probably a couple months before I realized this man was going to be my life partner. And mm. he is amazing in the way that he supports me and allows us to bring Bart, Ben, and Sam into our current life. At the time, we were not sure that we were going to, he had always told me that he didn't want children, and I had told him that I wasn't sure I wanted to love that deeply again. When we were on a trip over in New York, we were having dinner, and and there was a family next to us, and he leaned over to me and said, I think we need to start trying. And I looked at him like he had lost his mind and said, I thought we had decided not to have children. And he said, all of your stories of Benjamin and Samuel and and all of your love that you have in, inside of you, there's no way that, that I don't want to share that kind of love and that kind of joy with you. You will be an amazing mom, and I can't wait to share that experience with you. Wow. And so then we decided to start trying I had had a miscarriage. I found out that I was pregnant on Benjamin's birthday on June 2nd, and then two weeks later on my birthday, I miscarried, which was definitely traumatic. I had my tools that I knew that worked for me. That's writing. I I journal through pictures and music, so I stepped myself through that. Then we became pregnant that fall, and... I was lucky enough to have little Franklin. At that time, 
I didn't expect to have the, the depression that I was having after having him. I didn't experience any depression after having Benjamin and, and Samuel, but just the experience of having a boy again and the experience of feeling Ben and Sam, their presence constantly with me was a little much to take in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So again, I, I used the tools that worked for me and stepped myself through it. And it was probably that fall that I finally started feeling more like myself and just enjoying every moment that I had with him and also enjoying the moments and the memories that I had with Ben and Sam. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing so much of your story and your journey. And I know that there's so much more to hear. People need to get a copy of your book, Finding Jill. Can you share with the listeners where they can get a copy of the book and find out more about you? I have a website called findingjill.net or .com, actually. You have the ability to go on to Amazon.com through my website and order a book through that. Jill, thank you so much for sharing a part of your story with our listeners, for being so open and vulnerable to pour out your heart and to share even some great suggestions and tips to those who might be going through grief right now, who are suffering and feeling like there's no hope. There is hope and there is a way to heal. And I really appreciate that you're taking your story out to the world and trying to help other people. Thank you, Angela. The main thing I want to get across is that if you step yourself through your grief and you face it head on, you do have a choice and you can become healthy again and, and you can become happy. Absolutely. Love it. Thank you so much.